Hey, turn to the person next to you and tell them, I'm glad you're here today. Would you do that? Well, that wasn't very exciting. Let's try that again. Turn to somebody else, because obviously that person is not very exciting. Turn to somebody else and tell them, you, I mean, you, I'm so glad you're here today. Yeah, yeah, that was really, that was like the quietest greeting in the world. Wow, wow. Hey, listen, I'm excited about today, about starting this brand new series and um, excited about all that God is going to do in our lives. We have been talking for this last year about that this is the year of the Holy Spirit at Pathway Church. And we have, since Easter, we have really been pushing to know more about the Holy Spirit and understand the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And this next series, a series that we're going into, um, this is one of those series that I believe will change us if we open up our hearts and uh, just receive all that God wants to speak to us about. You know, first there were 10 commandments. Come on, say that with me, 10 commandments. And how many of you could, could quote at least like three of them? Just raise your hand. All right, that's good. Okay. Um, then Jesus came along and he says this in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these. How many? Two. Say it. Two commandments. Come and say it with me. Two commandments. So we went from 10 to two. And then on the night before Jesus faced the cross, Jesus says this to his followers. I give you a new command. New. Not old. New. Okay. Love each other. Say those three words with me. Love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you, what? Love each other. I'm convinced that Jesus narrows it down to love each other because he's telling us, get this down in your outline, loving others is the focus of the church Jesus is building. It's the focus of the church that Jesus is building, loving others. The highest value in the church, the church that Jesus is building, the highest value, listen to me, is not truth. The highest value in the church that Jesus is building is not doctrine. The highest value in the church that Jesus is building is supposed to be loving each other. He made that really, really clear. And we see that kind of love in the way the early church, the first century church started as they worshiped together and ate together and shared together and had communion together. They did life together. We see this kind of love throughout the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul gives us all of the each others, you know, we've talked about that last year, the each others to do um, to each other and for each other, serving each other, loving each other, praying for each other, giving to each other, all of these things that we're supposed to do to each other. So the thing that I want us to get today as we start this series is that Jesus calls us to love each other. Just say that with me. Jesus calls us to love each other. That's really important for us to catch because it sets up this whole idea of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. My question though is if Jesus calls us to love each other, how do you do that with certain people? Now, you know, I, I take offense at that, Brooke, because you know, you live in my house, you work in my office. Wow. Okay, how many of you have certain people like Brooke is thinking about, right? Certain people, how, how do you love certain people? Certain people 
are difficult to love. Anybody have certain people like that in your life that I'm talking about? I'm sure, come on, you guys are lying in church. No, not me. You know, you know what I was going to say is if you don't raise your hand at that point, you may be that certain person, okay? Certain people are hard to love. They're hard to relate with. Certain people have difficult personalities. Do you ever work or go to school or live near or have somebody in your family that has a difficult personality? And you know what I'm talking about when I say certain people. They're weird. They're strange. They're hard. They're cynical or whatever. You know, it, all of us have certain people in our lives that are difficult to love. And sometimes you get to a point with those certain kind of people that it almost feels impossible at times to love them. And I bet everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about. The Apostle Paul comes along, and in Galatians 5, and 23, he gives us something that is just amazing. It's, it's a jewel in the middle of the, the New Testament. He gives us this, this way of loving people. Even if we think it's impossible, he says, no, it's possible. Take a look what he says. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, one of the things is not a fill-in on your blank, but you may want to write this down because this is going to play out all throughout this series. The thing that we need to understand, we just read these, the thing that we need to understand is all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit are relational in nature. Don't miss that. Okay? How do you know the Holy Spirit is working love in you? Because you're showing love towards others. How do you know he's working patience in you? Because you are being more patient with other people. Everybody follow that? You can't stand and say, I am the most patient person in the world. Oh, really? Yeah, I know I am. How do you know that? Have you had interaction with other people? Nope, I just know I'm a patient person. No, that doesn't work that way, right? Patience comes out when you're relating to another person that is difficult to deal with. And that's the way it is. That's, that's how it is. It's relational. The Holy Spirit wants to help us love each other. So, so don't, you know, don't write this off as just, well, those are virtues. And you know, I've, I've got a long way to have those virtues in my life. I'm really, I fall short. No, don't, don't write this off as just virtues. This is the way the Holy Spirit is wanting to help us relate to other people, especially to certain people, difficult people in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to help us relate. Let's pray. God, help us to get this today. As we, as we launch into this series, help us to grab this idea of, of what you, through your Spirit, want to do in our lives. Thank you for giving us the Apostle Paul's writings and how he just unpacks it for us. And over the next several weeks, we don't want to just learn it. We want to be changed by this. So Holy Spirit, move in our life. We pray it in your name. Amen. Paul wrote this letter to the churches in the re region, the area of Galatia. It's an ancient Roman province. It's now in modern Turkey. 
Paul writes to encourage Jesus' followers who are living in Galatia. He's encouraging them to live the life that Jesus is calling them to live and to be a part of the community that Jesus is building called the church. And so Paul writes this, and so basically we're going to get the context of what Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are all about. Take a look. Paul says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I want you to notice something about this list. All of these are things we do. All of these are actions people carry out in their lives. Don't miss that. It's, it's easy to see also the, the self-centeredness, the selfishness in all of these actions, how everything that our selfish nature wants to carry out in our lives, how everything is about me and is about my experience. Look what Paul says. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, Paul says, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, he's pretty clear. Paul basically says, if you live like this, you will never experience what Jesus has for you. You will never experience what Jesus is wanting to do in your life. Why? Because I believe you are not living out the command, the new command that Jesus gave us. What was it? Love each other. And all of those things that we've read are not about loving each other. It's all about us. You see that? It's pretty clear. Jesus calls us to love each other, so Paul then writes... But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Come on, read them with me. Love, joy, come on, read them out loud. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack these and talk about them. Today, I just want us to get a couple of things that I feel jump right off the, off the front. And, and I want us to catch these things, and really it sets us up for the next several weeks. So first off, I want us to see who's doing this. It's really important. Look what Paul writes. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Read those first four words with me. The Holy Spirit produces... So I want you to get this down in your outline. It's really clear. The Holy Spirit produces in me what I can't do on my own. What I can't on my own. Now this is a really big deal. Because so many Jesus followers think that they want to, they need to manufacture or generate or cause this in themselves. You know, I'm going to become more loving this year. I'm, I'm going to become more joyful, more patient this year. Don't ever pray for patience, by the way. Just saying, all right? If you, don't, if, you, if you think about it, when you pray for patience, what is God going to give you? Situations where you got to be patient in, right? And that's hard. Anyway, this year, you, know, you say, I'm, I'm going to you know, work on being peaceful. I'm going to work on more self-control. But this isn't something that I can do in myself. I can't create this in myself. You can't create this in yourself. I can't develop this in my personality or my temperament. I can't make this happen 
in me. I mean, I can read all the Oprah books. I can watch all of Tony Robbins' stuff online. I can, you know, promise my loved ones and promise myself and make New Year's resolutions that I'm, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But ultimately, you know what? We can't do it on our own. We can't become more loving or more patient or more peaceful on our own. It doesn't work that way. You know why? Because we're all messed up. I mean, come on, let's just admit it. We are. We're all messed up in these areas. Now, granted, some of us may have a little bit more than others. You might be a little bit more patient than I am. Let me back that up. You may be a lot more patient than I am. Patience is one of those things that is weak in me. I'll just be honest with you. And you may have been reading that list and thinking, oh, yeah, that's the one I need to work on. All right. You, you know, you may be more loving, you may meet, have more self-control, whatever, but we all have areas that we need to work on. We are all messed up in some way or another in these areas. There's no way that any of us can produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control on our own. Read the text with me again. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of what? Fruit. Now think about it. Paul's using this idea, this analogy, this metaphor of fruit, this image of fruit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. And I mean, going back to what I just said, we can't do it on our own. What's interesting is you never see a tree. I mean, you walk up to a, an apple tree or, you know, you walk up to a lemon tree and you don't hear, like they're trying to grunt out a lemon, Right? And yet a lot of the times that's what we think we can do. Well, I'm just going to get through this and I know I'll have more patience. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. And what's interesting is when we read Galatians 5, and 23, we automatically think of, guess what? A bowl of fruit, Right? And we think of all of these different kinds of fruit in this bowl or this basket. Now, here's the question that I want you to think about. And, and just for a moment, we're going to step away from, you know, the Bible, and we're going to talk grammar, if that's okay. For just a second here, grammatically, grammatically, is the word fruit singular or plural? Now, I'm not looking for an answer because I'm going to give you an answer here in just a minute, and I'm going to actually give you the technical answer for this, okay? See, did you know that within the English language, hang on, we're getting a little bit Englishy here, all right? In the English language, there are what's called countable and uncountable nouns. How many of you knew that? Right, I didn't either, okay? I just found this out this week. Here's some examples of uncountable nouns. Furniture. That's interesting, huh? Luggage. Rice. Sugar. Butter. Water. Now, fruit is considered technically an uncountable noun. In fact, technically, hang on here, might just Blow your mind for a minute here grammatically. Technically, there is no plural form for fruit, for the word fruit. Wow. So, if we use the word fruit, 
we are referring, guess what, to one kind of fruit in that basket. What do you see in that basket on the screen? We see oranges. It's all oranges. When we say that's a fruit basket, actually, it's a basket of fruit. What we're saying is it's a basket of one kind of fruit. Everybody follow me on that? But if you say the word fruits, we are referring to different kinds of fruit, more than one kind of fruit in a basket. So you would say that is a basket of fruits. That's different kinds. It's not plural. It's just referring to different kinds. And I know I probably just, I see the gloss over. It's like, you just lost me. What does this have to do with anything? I really don't care, right? Okay, that was the way I felt too. But I started thinking, what is Paul trying to say? Because he says, this is the kind of fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing. Fruit, not fruits, fruit. Hmm. That word fruit that Paul uses in the original Greek, New Testament was written in Greek originally and then translated so we could understand it. In the original Greek, it is a, a, an interesting word. It is the word karpos. And this word karpos in the Greek, guess what it means? Fruit. That's what it means. But here's the kicker. It is a singular noun in the Greek. So Paul is saying that there is, hang on here, one kind of fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing in our lives. You say, well, what about all the nine that's listed? I'm going to get to that in a minute. One kind of fruit. Now, we may see that list as different kinds of things that the Holy Spirit is producing, but that's not what Paul is writing. The Apostle Paul is not naming different things that the Holy Spirit is producing in our lives. Why is that important? I believe that if we treat them as different individual fruits that we can, can gain in our lives, it's easy for us to think of them as individual things in our lives. So someone might be good you know, at joy. Or someone might be good at self-control. Or someone might have patience, but no peace. You know, all of us have different personalities and temperaments. I think you've got to throw this into the mix. And so those dispositions are not necessarily the work of the Holy Spirit. Temperaments and personalities, sometimes things just come out from us who we are as people. Sometimes people are just naturally more patient than other people. It's just your disposition. So is that a work of the Holy Spirit? I don't believe it's necessarily the work of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us is that the Holy Spirit is working in us and we should see evidence through all of the fruit working in our lives. Oh. See, sometimes we read that list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, we just read that list and we go, well, I've got like, three out of the nine, I'm doing pretty good. But you stink at self-control. See, Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is working all of these things in your life. Let me, let me give you some handles so you can grab this here, okay? Paul is saying that it's one fruit, but there are nine attributes to that fruit. 
Wow. There are nine visible attributes showing that the Holy Spirit is working in my life and in your life. Hmm. So if Paul is thinking of one fruit when he was writing, let's just pick his brain for a minute here. Let's step into his mind a little bit. What fruit do you think he was thinking about? Let's think, let's think about it. One fruit, nine characteristics or attributes to it. Hmm. Now, most common in that culture, in that area of the world, there were particular fruit that were available. Fruits. Let me, let me clarify that. Fruits that were available. Take a look on the screen. We see grapes, pomegranates, olives, dates, and figs. And those were predominantly the most common fruit. There were a couple other things, quince and some other things that were available, but not, not so much. That's pretty much it in that area, in that culture. And my guess, this is my guess only, but my guess is Paul is thinking about a cluster of grapes on a vine. One fruit, nine attributes. Everybody follow me on that? So I want you to just think grapes with me. Turn the person next to you and just tell them, think grapes. Come on, just think grapes. How I come to this is Paul uses that same Greek word that Jesus used. What was that word again? It was kind of weird. It was karpos, right? And it means fruit, a singular noun. Guess what? Jesus, in a very famous teaching that Jesus gave in John 15, he uses that same word. In fact, we're going to read it. I want you to pull out your outline, if you would, and I want you to circle that word fruit in John 15 every time we read it. All right? Here we go. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. There you go. Circle it. And he produces the branches that do bear, read it with me, fruit. So they will produce even more. So hang on for just a minute. Jesus is saying that the gardener, the father, will cut off branches that do not produce fruit. And even if you are producing fruit, God will bring more fruit into your life because he will prune you. And those pruning experiences that God brings into our lives are to make us more fruitful. Now you're going to see how this plays out in weeks ahead, and I hope you join us in the weeks ahead. Let's, let's just go into the whole patience thing. I've already mentioned it once. If God is working on patience in your life, what do you think the pruning experience will involve that God is using to bring about patience in your life? It's going to be a situation, probably with a person, that you are having a hard time being patient with. And everybody goes, oh, no. Yeah. So when he begins to work on these areas in our lives, it's going to be opportunity. He's going to create experiences so that we can grow in those ways. Hmm. Interesting. Jesus continues. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Who is he? He's the vine. Remember the true grapevine. For a branch cannot produce fruit. There it is again. If it is severed from the vine, that makes sense, right? You cut a branch off, it's going to die, right? 
It says, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much, read it with me, fruit. So he's saying, if you are connected to him, if you, friends, are connected to Jesus, there's going to be lots of fruit being produced in you. Wow. And then he finishes it off. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my Father. So what do you think the goal is in your life? What do you think the goal for Jesus is in your life? It's so that you produce fruit, right? It's the same word that Paul used, karpos. So in my understanding, and in a lot of researchers' understanding, they tie these two passages together, and John 15 becomes extrapolated, or it is teased out and opened up so that Paul says, the fruit that Jesus is wanting to develop in you is, guess what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. Huh. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Going way back to our series of you know, who is he? The Holy Spirit is wanting to produce these things in your life. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to produce these things in our lives. Hmm. How do you know if someone is a follower of Jesus? I mean, isn't that the ultimate question when you meet somebody? I don't know if you've ever met people and you're talking to them and you're thinking, wow, I'm they, they, they act like a Christian. They talk like a Christian. I'm, I wonder if they're a Christian. You ever, ever had that kind of thought going on in your head? I have. And, and you, you ask the question, how am I supposed to know if a person is a follower, a real follower of Jesus? Here's the answer. Jesus gave us the answer. You know what it is? Lots of fruit. They're producing lots of fruit. That's the proof that we need to look at. Is, are they producing fruit in their life? If they are, they are a follower of Jesus. And yet the thing about fruit is that it doesn't happen quickly. How many of you have fruit trees in your yard or have had fruit trees before? It doesn't happen quickly, does it? There's this little bitty lemon bush in the middle of our yard in a, in a um, half barrel. And this thing honestly... We put it in the ground, it died. Okay, we have this one area that I call the corner of death in our backyard. And it just, we put it in there. I was hoping that it would, that it would thrive. I grew up in a home of Northern California where this, this lemon tree was just massive and, and, and it grew lemons and it produced lemons all year round. And I was hoping that we could have that kind of lemon tree in our yard. And, and I put it in the corner and it just, it just died. And I'm like, I feel so bad for it. I don't know about you guys, but I, sometimes I feel bad for plants that die in my yard. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't really mean for you to die. I was trying to give you life. And so I dug it back up and I threw it in a pot, literally just the clump of dirt. And I threw it in a pot and I set it off to the side. I was just disgusted. I remember the day and I walked up through, you know, threw dirt back in the hole and I walked away. And it's like, we can't ever grow anything in our yard. Months later, that little tree that I had thrown in that pot with that little clump, it became green again. And so 
I jumped on it and I, and I put more dirt in it. And sure enough, the thing started growing. It grew big enough that I needed to put it in this center little thing in, in our yard. And so it's, it's there and, and it's growing in this pot and it's producing. It's not a whole lot, but it's producing some lemons and I'm excited. And sometimes I post on Facebook, I got a lemon, you know, this kind of thing. And I'm so excited about it. But what's interesting is it takes so stinking long. You go out and you see these little bitty guys, right? It's like, yay. Yeah, come on, come on, grow up, give me the breath of life, you know, don't die, you know. And then there's sometimes when I see like birds that are down on the tree, and I'm hey, get away from that, you know, that's my tree, you know, I'm going to try to get fruit. And I try to, we keep the critters from it, I don't want my dogs going near it, don't bump it with a lawnmower, you know, that kind of a thing. It's like, I want it to grow because it takes, it takes so long. Now, I know this tree is not growing the way it should grow, but at least it's doing something for us, all right? But you know what I'm talking about. It, it doesn't happen quickly. It takes a while. It takes time. Fruit must grow. Fruit must develop. And most of the time, the growing season is long. We had a house in Livermore, California, Northern Cal, before we came here and we had this little small chain link fence in our backyard and we had three different kinds of grapevines on this chain link fence that would produce bountifully. And I had nothing to do with them, <laughs> right? I mean, we'd water them and that's, that's about it. I would prune every once in a while. We had a little cocker spaniel and she loved it. She would eat as many grapes as her little bowels could hold. And you know what I'm talking about. And then she had a mess. But anyway, um, it, it just produced and produced and produced. Th that house was over 50 years old when we lived there. And those vines had been there that long. Wow. It takes a long time. The season of growth is long. Especially when we're talking about grapes. Grapesfromcalifornia.com says that your backyard grapevine can take up to three years to produce viable grapes. I guarantee it's not going to look like the pictures that we're seeing here, but it'll have some, okay? Did you know, though, that even three to four weeks, three to four weeks along, the most, most rapid growth begins? This next picture shows us that shoots can grow an average of one inch or more per day. It's amazing. And then as days and months pass by, flowers bloom, and then they break open to make way for tiny grapes that will eventually ripen and cluster. Do you see the blooms? And then you see the clusters. It's amazing. But it takes time. I want you to get this down. The Holy Spirit works in me through process. Process is that first blank. The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes slowly through process. And friends, just like grapes, if the fruit of the Holy Spirit is growing in you, it's going to be obvious. Now, I'm not saying that you won't see something, even though it's a long process and it's a long time and it takes a long time to produce. You're still going to see something. I want you to finish off that statement. The Holy Spirit works in me through process with visible progress. Sure, 
None of us are going to perfectly display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. None of us are going to say, I've got 100% of these in my life. No, it doesn't work that way. But if the Holy Spirit is working in us, they are seen. These attributes are seen at some level. I want you to read the text with me again. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our what? Lives. In. In our lives. See, what I see here is the Holy Spirit is working in me to work through me. I want you to get that down. And that's going to play out for the next several weeks as we take a look at this, what Paul calls, calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works, is working in me to work through me. It is a relational thing that Paul says the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is produced in my life so that we can relate to each other. Now, I don't know if you saw this movie. I'm not necessarily, um, you know, giving props to this movie or anything, but there's something about this movie that caught my attention. Um, in, in the movie Evan Almighty, Steve Carell played, played uh, Evan. God is played by Morgan Freeman in this movie, and God calls Evan, Steve Carell, calls Evan to build an ark in his suburban neighborhood. And that's what the whole movie is about. And when Evan's wife becomes very confused and very disoriented and shaken by the odd behavior of her husband building this ark in their neighborhood, she decides that she's going to take the kids and leave and give him a little space to get things figured out on his own. He's went wacko, right? That's what she's thinking. So on her way out of town, she and the kids stop at a local diner where, of all things, God, Morgan Freeman is serving tables as a waiter, okay? Interesting conversation that comes up. At one point, God, Morgan Freeman, God, the waiter, engages her in conversation, and he notices that she's troubled. He, he says, are you okay? Take a look at this video. So to borrow this language of the movie, the fruit of the Holy Spirit isn't zapped into our lives. I mean, we may want the fruit of the Spirit to, to suddenly appear, but it doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit makes the conditions right to give the fruit the opportunity to grow within us. And when we participate in the process, we make room for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit wants in our lives. That's when the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us. This is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. Read it with me again. The Holy Spirit, come on, read it with me, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Read it out loud, come on. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray.